Welcome to Bill Bronchick's Real Estate Investing Podcast. Mr. Bronchick is an attorney, best-selling author, and a real estate investor with 25 years' experience. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com. Today we're going to talk about seven different ways to approach a foreclosure deal This is not the only seven ways, there are more, but these are the primary seven ways that I think you can approach a foreclosure deal with an eye towards a profit as an investor. Of course, part of what our job is, is to help people out. So in doing these transactions, we have to make certain that we're going to put the seller in a better place than we than we started, not leave them in a worse place, because people in foreclosure need help, and that's what our job is. We're not vultures. We're not taking advantage of anybody. We are helping people out of a, a tough situation that they are obviously struggling with and can't solve on their own. Otherwise, they would do so. So um, this is uh, the, the set list of seven and let's just jump right into it with number one. First is uh, a property with equity, with a decent amount of equity or a lot of equity. Uh, a lot of investors search for these as sort of the um, the pot of gold amongst the duds that they will find in the, the foreclosure list and then chase after that one. This is a very small number of foreclosures most people have little or no equity to find somebody who has 50 percent or more equity is pretty rare but if you do come across it it's a pretty straightforward endeavor you're just going to um, go after a uh, uh, all people in foreclosures I, i wouldn't just focus on people with equity i would go after all foreclosures see if the seller is interested in dealing with you, and then apply one of these seven principles. So number one, um, buying with equity, just buy it at a fair price. Make an offer that you can buy it at a fair price that gives you a reasonable profit, and the seller can walk away, hopefully, with some cash in his or her pocket. Um, This transaction isn't particularly unique in the process, except you have to be aware of state foreclosure protection laws that require specific disclosure language in the contract and a what we call a cooling off period or a right of rescission. So there's about 25 states that have it in my foreclosure course at LegalWiz.com. I do have in there a state-by-state guide to this. So if you're doing deals in your particular state or in another state that you're in, that is in foreclosure, you got uh, have to be aware of the required disclosures, the rescission period, and so forth, because there can be um, significant penalties, civil, even criminal, and uh, uh, a situation where someone can rescind the transaction months, even years later, if you didn't give them the right to rescind properly. So be aware of that stuff. But other than that, it really is a straightforward transaction. Just like any other cash, cash transaction, you're going to buy it for X dollars. The seller is going to convey property at closing. 
and the title company or attorney closing it is going to pay off the loan uh, in its entirety, plus late fees, interest, attorney's fees, etc. But other than that, it's just a regular payoff, um, just a payoff in default. So there's not anything particularly complicated about this process. It's just a matter of getting to a price that the seller is willing to accept. So if it's worth 500 and he only owes 200, uh, the likelihood that you're going to make a deal at 205 is pretty slim because that means the seller is leaving a lot of equity on the table. You could certainly, depending on the amount of work it needs, buy it for 300 and and make a, a reasonable profit and put some cash in the seller's pocket and uh, you know they get something out of it and it's a win-win. So just also just be aware again of the foreclosure protection laws and in certain states like Colorado um, it kicks in when the seller is one payment in default one not necessarily in foreclosure where a foreclosure has been filed but in default I believe Illinois has the same uh, language in their statute but I can't remember off the top of my head so do look at the state-by-state -state guide in the foreclosure course on legalwiz.com um, so other than that straightforward cash deal use a standard contract with the proper disclosures and rescission period and once the rescission period is up you can go to closing in in most statutes you can't even give the seller earnest money you can't give them anything until the rescission period is up, which is kind of good for us as investors because I'd rather not give earnest money after the three days are up. And it's not three days uh, calendar. It's usually three business days. Um, so that could be five days, depending on if it's a weekend or not. And that gives you time as an investor to also cool off. You may reevaluate what you've offered and say, wow. You know, after I did the comps and took another look at the property and what it needs for work, I'm paying too much. And so maybe you want to uh, uh, back out of the contract. Of course, you can have an inspection period um, in the in the contract that will give you a contingency to get out and so forth. But um, what you don't want to do, even if you're not in a state that has a strict foreclosure protection law, is meet a seller. He's in foreclosure, knock on their door, sit down with them, get them to sign a quit claim deed across the table without doing any research of any kind or any check of title or verifying what he owes or she owes. That's just foolish. Now, if you're not giving the seller any money at that point, maybe giving the seller money later or none at all, uh, as in a subject to, we'll talk to you later, um, then, of course, you know, you have nothing to lose. But I once met with a seller and it was a day before the sale date. It was before the foreclosure protection law came into place. And uh, I gave her three grand and she just deeded me the property the day before the sale. And what I found out was she was in, a, in an FHA forbearance program. So she was making a negative amortization payment, which means the balance, what I thought was much higher than she represented. And um, I got burnt. I lost my $3,000. That's because I violated my own rules. Um, other times I've done it where I, it worked out just fine, but I would really... Uh, encourage you to do title search, due diligence, inspection, all the things you'd normally do on a regular foreclosure deal. I know that a lot of people come to you 
the you know two days before the sale and say okay I'm ready to sell and you don't have a lot of time but um, you could always call up the lender who has is foreclosing and say listen we have a contract on this deal we're going to buy it can you please postpone the sale date a week or two and sometimes they will sometimes they won't but you could always ask if you don't have any um, uh, time to do your traditional due diligence so that's the first way just buying a property that has equity buy it at a fair price and then do which with it what you will fix and flip wholesale keep it as a rental etc number two a property with equity where the seller wants more than you're willing to give and also wants to stay in his home and that's a tough one because a lot of sellers in foreclosure want to stay in the home now you might be tempted tempted to get title to the property and then give the seller a lease with an option to repurchase it back from you that is a no-no first of all you're setting someone up for failure and that's not leaving them in a better place than we found them because you know what's going to happen within three to four months they will stop paying you will evict them and they give up all their equity and even if you don't go to court it's just not something you want to do it's just not fair but if you go to court a judge is going to really give it to you um they could argue that the money you put up that they had to buy back with the option was a finance charge what you gave them essentially was a loan also a lot of the foreclosure protection statutes limit or outright prohibit you from doing so so not a good idea now can you buy it from them and then lease it back to them you know just like for six months just a straight out lease yeah you could do that if if the seller had a problem where he wasn't working or she wasn't working and now they have a source of income where they can pay or as part of the purchase price you'll include as consideration um three or four or five six months rent free um that's fine but just no option to repurchase it just a straight out uh, occupancy post closing occupancy agreement not even a lease but just a, a um a short-term occupancy agreement that allows you to evict them as a holdover if they extend beyond that okay so the way to properly do this what i would do is maybe buy the property from them subject to the existing loan make up the back payments the seller gets to stay there for a period of time I'd like to keep it less than a year even less than six months but a reasonable period of time after that the seller moves out the property is rehabbed it is resold and you and the homeowner split the proceeds after you reimburse your expenses right, that's it uh, you know it's it's a lot fairer because if the seller is going to is going to uh, live there and maybe make payments to you that you or just make payments to you that you can make to the bank to cover the loan uh rent payments or you as part of the deal just let them stay for free and you make the payments either way if you evict that person either for non-payment or a holdover if they just didn't leave when they were supposed to they don't lose their equity in the deal they only lose possession 
So when you go in front of a judge, you're saying, judge, they're not getting their equity stolen from them. They're just losing the right of possession, and which we agreed they would leave you know, at a certain time so we can fix it up, sell it, pay off the loan, and give the seller part of his equity in the form of cash. And you're much better off in court under that argument because nobody in a court likes to hear about stealing someone's equity. They, they call it equity stripping, which is actually something totally different. Um, but they refer to that in the uh, anti-investor media circles as equity stripping. Equity stripping is actually something very different. It's a very specific type of um, crime or violation that I, it's not relevant to our discussion, but um, people refer to you taking everybody's equity as, as equity stripping. So again, uh, don't do a deal where you buy it and then lease option it back. Do a deal where they get to live there for a little while or maybe to even move out would be best right from the beginning. And then you fix it up and then you resell it. It's as simple as that. Number three. Okay, so a property without much equity. That's your next scenario. Maybe there's 10 or 15% equity. So if the seller doesn't have much an equity where you can't buy it for cash, but they've got a really good interest rate on the loan, you can consider doing what we call a subject to, where you make up the back payments at closing and you take title subject to the existing mortgage. Now you're not assuming it with the loan with the lender, the loan with the lender, but I doubt they're really going to care about this transaction if you make the loan current, particularly if there isn't a lot of equity, even though there's theoretically a due on sale in the mortgage that allows them to call the loan due if it is transferred without assumption. And, but think about the logistics of that. Someone's six months behind, you brought it current, took title, and then a month later they said, no, we're not accepting your payment, we're calling it due again. That'd be nuts. You know, they had a property in default and now it's current. So especially without a lot of um, equity in the property. You might give the seller, depending on you know how many back payments and the interest rate and how much equity, the seller a little walking money, uh, depending on how much it costs you to make up the back payments on the late fees. And then you could just rent out the property or rehab and resell it in the future when there's more equity. And this is one of my favorite type of scenarios because most properties are going to fall in this category in foreclosure where they have a little bit of equity, and it really depends on how many back payments there are. You have to evaluate the condition of the property, the neighborhood, the interest rate on the loan, and what you could rent it for, whether you're going to take it subject to. The, the challenge often becomes in scenarios like this is that there's a year or more of back payments to make up. So if there's only 30000 in equity and it costs you 20000 to make up the back payments, that's probably not worth it probably not worth it. But if there's 100000 in equity and it costs you 20000 to make up the back payments and then give them maybe some 10 or 15 for walking money, um, you know, that may be worthwhile. That could be worthwhile. All right. Number four, property without equity or upside down. The scenario for that is most likely going to be a short sale. So if the loan balance with the late fees and the penalties and the interest and the attorney's fees exceeds the value of the property, then a short sale is in order. And you prepare a contract between you and the seller 
And by the way, um, every one of these transactions would be under foreclosure protection acts, except number five, which I'll talk about next. So um, anytime you're dealing with a seller in foreclosure and it's their primary residence, you have to comply with foreclosure protection acts. So you'd prepare a contract between you and the seller at a price you want to pay. It has nothing to do with the value of the, I mean, the um, amount that's owed. It has to do with the value of the property and how much work it needs. And you come up with a number. So let's say it's worth 500 fixed up and they owe 550. It needs 50 in work and you want to pay 350 or 375 let's just say for example you're going to write up a contract for 375 and then you're going to take that contract to the lender who's got the mortgage and say we'd like you to, to accept a short pay or a short sale on the amount you're owed so instead of uh 500 and change they're going to take a total of 375 and write off the balance okay now there could be a, um, a second mortgage as well. There could be other liens, judgment liens, IRS liens, HOA liens that have attached to the property. And those are, can be also be shorted, especially in the ones in second and third position, because once the first mortgage forecloses, anything behind it is going to get wiped out after the sale. Okay. So someone who's in second position is going to take five or cents, or 10 cents, sometimes even less than that, on the dollar for what they are owed. If the lender doesn't accept the short sale to your to a number to your satisfaction, then that's it, that you back out of the contract. So the contract is contingent upon a satisfactory short sale amount that you as the buyer will accept. Okay. Number five. You could buy at the auction. Now, as I said earlier, Foreclosure Protection Act applies to those first four, doesn't apply to this one because at the auction, you're not dealing with the seller, you're dealing with the auctioneer, okay? Now, there's different types of auctions. When I say buy at the auction, I mean the public auction that is done either by the trustee in a trustee state or is done by a sheriff or a receiver or someone else appointed by the court in a mortgage state. Okay. That means buying basically what they call at the courthouse steps. Now, if you have not seen the house and the interior, you must assume it doesn't have one <laughs> and bid a price low enough to account for replacing everything inside the house. Now, if someone's living there, you could probably assume the repairs are, are mostly cosmetic, but still assume a worst case cosmetic condition. Okay, because it could be a bad furnace, could be a bad um, hot water heater, it could have, you know, you could see the outside, you could drive by the outside before you go to the sale and, and just look around, poke around the property if no one's living there, if someone is, then be careful. But at least from the curb, you could see whether it needs a roof, siding, landscaping, um, if you could walk around the house, you might be able to observe cracks in the foundation and so forth. But just assume worst case condition on the interior. And don't get into bidding wars with your competition. You'll end up paying too much. Know your bottom line before you go to the sale and don't make a bid a penny more than you planned. Well, maybe a penny more, but not much more than you planned. Auction fever can get to the best of us. So make sure you proceed with a level head when you go in there. Okay. Now, 
when you go to the foreclosure auction, if you've never gone to one, you should probably go just to observe a couple of times, get to know the process, get to know um, what you need to bring with you and what you need to do if you're the winner. Don't just go in there blind. Typically, the way it works is as follows. The first bid is from the lender and their bid is whatever they're owed. So if it's worth 500 and it's owed 550, then no one else is going to bid, obviously, because 550 is too much. Now, a lender can do an underbid. They could say it's not worth 500 now. It's worth 400, so we're only going to bid 400. And then there's 150 deficiency that they can go after the former homeowner for. That's a different scenario. But in most cases, the lender's bid, their opening bid, is what they're owed. So if they're owed 400 and it's worth 500, they're going to bid 400. And then from there, the investors bid. Okay, so if the winning bid is 425, the winner gets it. Now, um, the process is a little different from state to state, county to county. So you have to go on the website of the county that's doing the uh, uh, the foreclosure and find out what do you need to bring with you. So if you win, then what? Okay, do you have to put up all the money right there, or do you put X percent? In most cases, it's it's 10 percent of the winning bid right there on the spot in certified funds. So you go to the bank and you get um, cashier's checks for 5, 10, 20, and some ones in there. So you can just show up with denominations that add up to 10% of the bid price. And then you have anywhere from, you know, like in my state of Colorado, to the end of the day to wire the money to other states like Florida where you have a week or so to get the money in. It's not something you can usually get a hard money loan for. I'll say that again. An auction purchase is not something you can usually get a hard money loan for. So it's all cash. You need either a partner to put up the cash or you need to put up all the cash. You're not going to have enough time, except in a few states where they give you more time, to get a loan on the property because they have to do title. They have to do um, you know, all kinds of due diligence. They're going to want to do an appraisal and so forth. So very, very hard to do with a loan. You're going to need to do it cash. Number six, redemption. Now, some states offer the ability for either the owner or anyone who has a lien behind the lien being foreclosed to, quote, redeem the property after the sale. Redeem means to buy out. So an owner redemption would look as follows. Worth 500 the opening bid was 400. Somebody bid 425. They're the high bidder. The owner would have a certain period of time, let's say a month, to pay the high bid, 425, and get the property back. Now, during that period, they could get a loan, in theory, and buy it at a redemption. They may have a hard time qualifying because their credit's probably shot, but it's possible to buy it out of redemption. That's an owner redemption. So during the redemption period, you could get a quit claim deed from the owner and redeem in his place as the owner. That's an excellent strategy. Now, Colorado doesn't have that for those of you who are in Colorado. We used to have a long redemption period, a long one, several months. And people didn't bother you know, with the auction or pre-foreclosure. Everything happened in owner redemption where they would chase after the 
owner after the sale and try to get the owner to give them a quit claim, give you a quit claim deed, and then you can go and file a redemption as the new owner. We don't have that anymore. Some states have that still. So you want to check with your state foreclosure process to see if there is a redemption. Now, also, a lot of states have what's called lien redemption, lien redemption. That is, if there's a first and a second mortgage and the first is foreclosing, the second mortgage holder would have a certain period of time to redeem it. That means pay up the bid amount. Colorado has a lien redemption. It's a short one, but you could buy a junior lien prior to the foreclosure or at least get an option to buy it and then after the auction exercise the option to buy the lien and redeem it this is a tricky process this is not for the faint of heart it's not a beginner strategy it's very technical but make sure you really understand this and work with an attorney or a foreclosure expert that really understands lien redemption because it's tricky as heck. So um, I'm just alerting you to the, the possible strategy just so you know that it exists. So owner redemption, leaner redemption. And finally, number seven, once it's all over, it goes and no one else bid besides the bank, it becomes bank owned or REO, real estate owned. So once the auction is over and the redemption periods are over, if there are any, the bank would become the owner of the property. And this is called REO or real estate owned. Now, don't bother calling the bank after the sale date if the property, to see if the property is available for sale. Unless you're dealing with a small local commercial bank or credit union, this is going to be a colossal waste of your time to call Bank of America. Uh, or, or Wells Fargo. The big banks have long drawn out processes for handling the resale of an REO, which generally involves, you know, it's sitting there for months while they process it. Then they're going to give it to a, um, a clearing house in the region. And then that clearing house will hire a local broker to list it on the MLS. And that's when you're going to be able to get a crack at it. Now, again, if you're dealing with local banks, like small commercial banks or a credit union, you might be able to call them up and ask them if they have a list of real estate owned properties they have available, and they may give it to you. you know, if you have a connection, especially, that will work. But big banks, don't even waste your time. Don't even waste your time. And especially if we're talking about a HUD property property that had an FHA loan that was foreclosed by HUD is a very specific process. They don't sell it to you directly under any circumstances. They process it in their system and they avail they make it available sometimes two years later, as long as two years later uh, under the HUD bidding process. So if it was a HUD loan, an FHA loan that was foreclosed, don't even waste your time. Okay. Now with bank REOs, it does make sense to become friendly with real estate brokers who list bank REOs a lot as they may offer you the opportunity to preview the home before it gets listed on the MLS. Okay. Now, if it's a bank owned property, an REO and, and Thursday morning, it comes out on the MLS at an asking price of X. 
a lot of people are going to want to look at it and make inspections before they make an offer. If you were lucky enough to get on the real estate brokers sort of insider list, they may show you, or if they're really, really friendly with you, give you the lockbox code so you can preview it before it goes on the MLS. That way, Thursday morning at 8 a.m., you put your offer in having already seen the inside where you're getting a jump on everybody else who hasn't seen it yet. Likewise, the one I said earlier, bidding at the auction, if you have time before the auction and the property is listed on the MLS active, you may as well call the listing broker and do a showing. So that way, when you're bidding at the auction, you've seen the inside. You have a better understanding than everybody else is bidding blind. And sometimes the people bidding against you are assuming the worst, and you've seen the inside and know it's not so bad, so you can bid more. You'll have a little leg up on them. So don't be afraid to sort of work the insider system with the real estate brokers in the foreclosure process. So to review, we've got property with a lot of equity. Just buy it for a fair price. Number two, property with some equity. Seller wants more. You can joint venture with them. Number three, a property without much equity. Cure and take subject to. Number four, is no equity or negative equity. That's a short sale. Number five, buy at the auction. Number six, owner or leaner redemption. And number seven, a bank REO. And those are not all the ways you can buy in foreclosure, but it is a good list of the ways that you should be looking at a property in foreclosure. Foreclosure properties are just a source. They're not a specific strategy per se. They're just a source of deals. I mean, a property could be in foreclosure or not in foreclosure, and you, you could be doing the same strategy depending on what the deal is. So don't think of foreclosures as a strategy because there are multiple, at least seven I've, I've listed, uh, to attack a foreclosure. But... Um, you will find that there are variations of these strategies that you might employ, but I would encourage you at least to get yourself familiar and have a working knowledge of these seven. Information and free articles and videos. Visit his website at www.legalwiz.com.